Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We live in interesting times, there's no doubt about that, and we will discuss a number of aspects of those interesting times and also kind of look forward to some of the things that might affect you and me in the first 100 days of the Biden administration and whether those will be good for the country or not. So an interesting eclectic program coming up. I want to start, though, with the reports the FBI is apparently sending out a warning to governors in all 50 states indicating that they have what they consider to be credible evidence that there will be armed protests at all 50 state capitals next week. Of course, uh, next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, Joe Biden is scheduled to be inaugurated as the next president of the United States. We all know the stuff that happened in the middle of the week last week at the Capitol, and we're still dealing with the aftermath of that. But in response to those warnings and concerns that people... Um, might not be happy or willing to accept the fact that Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won, there is a concern that you might see a repeat of what happened in Washington, D.C. at at a variety of state capitals next week. And so governors are making preparations. Tony Evers, who was caught flat-footed during the social justice protests in Madison and in Kenosha last summer, Tony Evers has decided, okay, he's not going to be caught flat-footed this time, and he's uh, called out the National Guard. They are assembling. There's already been a number of first-floor windows on the state capitol building that have been boarded up. And and let me just stop there for a second. Isn't it a sad reflection? And and regardless of of what the protest is for, isn't it a sad reflection on our country, whether it's, it's social justice threatened social justice protests that require businesses to board up all their windows in order to protect themselves or concerns over stop the steal. Oh, that's the phrase, I guess, that was used, except now you can't say it on Facebook. Stop the steal protests that are there that require, again, the, the buildings on capitals to be um, to be boarded up. Isn't it sad that we are at this point in 2020? In any event, so Tony Evers and governors all across the country are, are dealing with this national guard is being assembled they're hopefully not going to allow things to get out of control like they got out of control last week in washington all right i have always prided myself on trying to be consistent on this program and last summer when you had some of these violent protests that were breaking out and they started off as protests and then they turned to to violence and the destruction and the rioting and the arson and the looting, all those type of things. My, My advice to people was be calm, stay home. By going out and participating in these things, even Even if it starts out as a peaceful protest, where you see where some of the people take these different protests, it's just better for your cause, it's better for your health, it's better for the community to just stay home. Those three words are what I would urge people next week, given what happened a week ago. And this isn't about whether you have a right to protest or or not. Of course, in this country, you have a right to protest. But given where we are, given where emotions are, given what happened last week, 
if I were to give advice to people who are disenchanted with the outcome of the election and might be inclined to get on a bus and grab some guns and get their Confederate flags and head out to Madison or Annapolis or wherever, Springfield, Illinois, my response would be three words. And again, kind of paraphrasing Nancy Reagan's Just Say No when she was talking about dope. I would say, just stay home. Nothing good is going to come at this point in time in our history from mass demonstrations outside of state capitals protesting the orderly transition of power. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's not about do you have a right to protest. It's about whether that's the right thing to do at this point in time. My advice would be just stay home, and I hope people who are feeling unhappy in Wisconsin decide to take that advice and just stay home. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. All right, this is the text we start today off. Jeff, I've noticed your piece of advice, just stay home, was never applied during the Black Lives Matters protests. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it could be, and I look, I understand people ignored that, but it's not to say that I wasn't saying that. I've been saying just stay home. Going out to Kenosha did nothing to make things better. It made stuff worse. Even the people that were engaged in legitimate protests because it got hijacked. So it, it doesn't matter. Did, did rioters in Kenosha or in Madison fail to follow that advice? Yeah. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't follow that advice. Doesn't mean it's not good advice. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Rich in Waukesha. Rich, good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Um, well, first of all, I think the advice is good in that um, that you know normally you'd have counter protesters standing up to the bullies of other protesters, or vice versa. In this case, with the National Guard out, uh, it can only go bad if you're a counter protester by showing up as well, and because the National Guard is not going to be able to tell the difference, mm-hmm. and. Um, so it's just going to go bad. I would also add one thing to your piece of advice, and that is if you really want to understand how other people think, like I have extended relatives that are on different areas of the spectrum, just mm-hmm. turn the channel to what they watch because the micro-targeting that's done in the media to their network, they kind of tell people what they want to hear. Yeah, sure. So if you want to understand how, if I want to understand how my relatives think or different people think, I just need to change the channel to hear what they have to think, and then I can relate with them more. You know, I can, and no dialogue equals no understanding. So, you know, I have to, I mean, we are what we what we expose ourselves to. Uh, so that's my other piece. Of no, well, th- right. Well, I- I- exactly. I mean, I think it's important to, to dial stuff down. I mean, like, here's the text, Jeff. Social justice protests in Kenosha, but a siege of the Capitol. Good wording. Oh, OK, there were 
the, these were legitimate protests that started off in, for example, Kenosha and Madison that turned into rioting. All right. There, there's no question about it. And, and some people can try to downplay it, but that's the reality. All right. Yesterday or last week in Washington, D.C., you had what started out as their Stop the Steal rally, which is fine as far as it went. And then you had then, then it got out of control. And so it started at what was a, what I would say, a legitimate sort of protest, not over a legitimate issue, by the way, that this idea that the election had been stolen. I, I don't buy that. I haven't bought that since the, the election occurred. But all right, people have a right to go to Washington, D.C. They have a right to rally. They, they have a right to express themselves. What they don't have a right to do is what happened after that. Just like for the social justice protests, people have a right to gather. They have a right to express themselves. You don't have a right to burn down buildings, which is why I think given where we are, there's there's no reason to descend on Madison in mass with people waving Confederate flags and carrying guns. It's not going to change anything and nothing good, at least in my opinion, is going to come from that. Um, Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. What do you think? First of all, I'd like to say that um, it's good advice, um, and you are absolutely fair and consistent. That's precisely the reason that I listen to you. I don't agree with you all the time, but you give everybody a chance to say something, and I appreciate that. Sure. Um, you gave that advice in the summertime, and I believe it's still good advice. However, as I told your screener, it's an easy sell for me because I have accepted the results of the election, even though I voted for Trump. Um, if there had been any evidence of voter fraud, widespread voter fraud, I probably would be protesting with them. Mm-hmm. But since the evidence went nowhere, there was no evidence. Bill Barr said there was no evidence. I accepted it when he said that. And I could be wrong, but I think it's correct. Right. And so I'm an easy sell on that. But if I thought that there was fraud and it was stolen, I would be protesting along with them. I would not resort to violence. Right. I would be the people, I would be the person who went to the Capitol but then never went inside. Right. And, and, and in fairness, Mike, that, that one of the things that's gotten lost, and I even hesitate to say this because there are people who, you know, like, like seize on every word. And if you, if I make the point that there were a lot of people that were at the cap, that were in Washington, D.C., that, that didn't storm, that didn't storm the Capitol building. And, and there's lots and lots of people. Now, it's not to say that there weren't, you know, hundreds or thousands of people who engaged in, in what I will describe as rioting, but there was a large group of people who didn't. And it's, you, you have to always kind of separate those people out. But I guess I look at the big picture and given where we are, my question would be, what would be the point of 5,000 people descending on, on Madison, breaking windows or doing anything like that? It's just, it's not going to accomplish anything, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, kind of talking about you, what you were saying before your show started, um, if you are going to try to silence people through social media, they will physically protest and come out in mass. And they are traveling down a very dangerous road by trying to silence people through social media and other means. Yeah, and we'll, I think we, we'll probably talk a little bit about that in, in just a little bit. But I guess, look, the, the, the bottom line here is we have to figure out a way to get beyond 2020. We, we have to figure out a way, and, and I understand that you've got people 
all over that, that are angry. You've got members of uh, the black community who are angry at white America and, and, and want to lash out. And, and every time there is a situation where you have, you know, the police department takes uh, an enforcement action, that's always scrutinized in second and third and fourth guest. Okay, so I, I've got that. Then, of course, you've got the people who feel that the election was stolen and, and there's all these bad feelings there. Or if they don't feel the election was stolen, they feel that Donald Trump was a, was a martyr who was never treated fairly in the four years he was in office. And, and they feel bad about that. And they're angry. It's just everywhere you look, you seem to have all these people on all sides of, of these issues and on various issues who are all angry about this or angry about that or angry about the other thing. And the truth of the matter is... All right. That, that, that's 2020. You know, if, if we're going to move on as a country, and I'm not saying you can't have legitimate policy disputes. Matter of fact, a little a bit later on in the program, we're going to be talking about some things that I think reasonable people can disagree on. It's some things that Joe Biden says he's talking about doing that I think would be very, very bad. But it's, it's a policy dispute as opposed to this, this anger that, that's there. And I, and I hope we can have those discussions moving forward. Okay. In the next segment of the program, though, I want to talk about the way we get past this and and what is the first amendment really about and do we really want to live in a country where you have the censors telling people what they can say and what they can't say stick around jeff wagner on wtmj years ago, back when we were still allowed to travel overseas before the, the pandemic, we, we did one of our, our listener cruises um, that was just, just absolutely outstanding. And we ended up starting in Amsterdam. Now, I had never been to Amsterdam before, but Amsterdam is a city that you you just you have to go to at, at least once. And, and there, there's all sorts of amazing cultural things. I went through the Anne Frank house and you could see, you know, everybody's familiar with the Anne Frank story, went to the Van Gogh Museum. That was cool. And, and I'll be honest, we also took a walk through the red light district in, in Amsterdam, which is, well, it, it, it's it's exactly what it seems to be. It seemed to me it was kind of like CD and kind of sad, you know, because you're walking through this, these back streets. And what you have is you have um, you have these, these women in various states of undress who are just kind of dancing and, and they are, they are women of all different ages, um, standing in the kind of like dancing provocatively in the windows. And if you're interested and you, you kind of, you go in, I guess, I don't know. I was there with my wife. So, but we just kind of like walked through that. And actually she was the one uh, together with our, our friends, Betty and Peter, they, they want, they want to see it. We got to go through the red light district. So we saw it. I don't feel the desire to go back there. But the other thing that really strikes you about Amsterdam is, it, it's kind of like the pot capital of the world. You walk through, and and there's main thoroughfares, but there's a lot of like back streets, like a lot of places in Europe have, like alleys and stuff. You, you walk down the streets in, in Amsterdam, and it, it's like it's like being at a Grateful Dead concert in 1977. And I mean, you you get a contact high. I mean, it's just like, what is that smell? Oh, I know exactly what that smell is. I mean, it's because everybody is smoking dope. And if they're not smoking dope, they've smoked dope, and so their clothes reek of this. I mean, you, it just—it is this overriding thing because you know pot smoking is legal in some cafes. Now, interestingly, a lot of bars that we would go into, 
um, where they serve, you know, alcohol, they don't allow you. I guess they, they must view like the pot things as being their competition. So if you're sitting in a bar having a, a beer, they don't, they don't allow you to smoke pot in the, in the bar. But there's still, there's a lot of pot smoking that's going on. I bring this up because, of course, we're, we're moving towards that in this country with like legalizing marijuana and things like that. And I've always said, okay, we've got to be careful about this. Well, here's the deal. Amsterdam is considering banning tourists from going to the cannabis coffee shops because apparently what they've been finding they're having is a huge problem with what they call their um their soft drug tourism so what they found is because You've got a lot of people who are attracted to the idea of, gee, we, we can just smoke pot anywhere we want. You have people that are flocking into Amsterdam and creating all sorts of social problems because they're attracted because of all the pot and things like that. So what I mean, the mayor is, he wants to ban non-residents from being able to purchase cannabis products at any of the 166 marijuana-tolerant coffee houses, which they call coffee shops. And the concern is, like I say, they're seeing the legalization of marijuana as being a, a it's a social problem with regard to the people that it is attracting. I wonder, I wonder whether you're going to see something like that play out in a similar fashion in the United States. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in the relatively near future. And I understand, you know, potheads of, of this country are like, oh, there, there's no problem at all. But they're thinking and rethinking how they handle it in Amsterdam, which should be a lesson to others. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Okay, let me call an audible. Uh, I I do want to talk about the the, the First Amendment and uh, the whole Twitter and Facebook stuff in just a moment. But uh, as Eric Bilstadt just referred to, President Trump has made his first real public remarks outside of, of a taped interview um, just a, a few minutes ago. He, he's traveling outside the White House, I think, for the first time since everything happened last week. He's heading down to Texas to inspect a, a portion of of the wall. He's en route to Alamo, Texas, which is not the Alamo in Texas. It's it, it's it, it's Alamo, Texas. But he, he took a couple questions from reporters. Here's here's what he said. He said that his um, I don't know, let, me, let me quote let me quote this stuff exactly here. One of the reporters said, what is your role in what happened at the Capitol? What is your personal responsibility? He said, if you read my speech, people thought what I said was totally appropriate. He said, so he takes no responsibility at all for for what happened last week. He um said he was not going to resign. He targeted lawmakers who are pushing for his ouster, saying it's a really terrible thing that they are doing. To continue on this path, I think it's causing, this is the president speaking, uh, quote, I think it's causing tremendous danger to our country, and it's causing tremendous anger. Says, I, I want no Violence. Okay, now let me just go to this other site here. Uh, again, people thought what I said was totally appropriate. Then he went on to say, if you look at what other people have said, politicians at a high level about the riots during the summer, the horrible riots in Portland and Seattle and various other places, that was the real 
problem. And then, you know, he said that the the impeachment charge that was causing tremendous anger. Um, he said that um, impeachment was a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in the history of politics. And I think it's causing, again, tremendous anger. OK, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Regardless of how you feel about the last week of the Trump administration, and and I'm already on record, and I know some of you think I'm too harsh, and some of you think I'm nowhere near harsh enough. I'm I'm the one saying that I don't think impeachment, you don't have time to do it. It, If you're going to do it as a practical matter, it means that you're going to be doing this for the first 30 or 60 days of the Biden administration. I don't think it's at the end of the day it's really going to accomplish anything. My point has always been that that politically, you know, Donald Trump is such damaged goods that he's not, as a practical matter, going to be able to run for successfully run for election, whether he's barred or not. I'm not sure you have two-thirds votes to impeach him in the U.S. Senate regardless. So to me, the way to accomplish, express your displeasure with all this is to issue a censure resolution. Some people think, wow, he shouldn't be censored for anything. Others, and I've heard from you, say, oh, this is just terrible. We need to tar and feather him. I continue to believe that censure is the reasonable resolution to way of, of getting us past all this. But I do look at what the president's apparently saying, where he clearly takes no responsibility at all for his remarks and saying that he thinks that they were totally appropriate. I guess my, the, the only conclusion I can draw from this is that he really still doesn't get it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And hear me out. Let me be very clear here. Regardless of whether or not you think that he incited a insurrection that means that it's either a criminal offense or incited an insurrection which would, you know, which which would be an impeachable offense. Regardless of of whether you go that far. I don't understand how anybody realistically can look at what the president did in the way he whipped up the crowd and say that those remarks were totally appropriate and that it's the effort to impeach that's causing tremendous anger. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I think I've always tried to carve out what I think is the, the middle ground between the, the people who are the Trump haters obsessed with the Trump derangement syndrome versus the people who think that he walks on water and can do absolutely nothing wrong. But how can, again, regardless of what you think, whether or not you think he committed a crime with his remarks or an impeachable offense, I don't understand. It's almost a sign of being delusional, at least in my opinion, to look at those remarks that he made in front of that whipped up crowd last week and say my remarks were totally appropriate. And then to look at the way the president sat on the sideline for hours as the Capitol B was being stormed without coming out in the first 10 minutes and saying to his supporters, knock it off. This is not what we are about. And instead, you know, kind of these half-hearted, lily-livered sort of remarks telling them, we, we love you, you know, the election was stolen, et cetera, et cetera. 855-616-1620. And I admit, as somebody who's tried to find a reasonable middle ground here, the president's remarks today, to me, are extremely frustrating, indicating that even at this late stage, he still doesn't get it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're first. 
Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bob. I guess what uh, I didn't like about his uh, comments was, one, he could have condemned the violence. He could have just came out and really condemned the violence. Two, he he didn't um, admit that he lost the election. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still playing the victim. He's still playing the guy that's been wrong. And I think at this point, with people, you know, with the knowledge that what is being said could happen at the Capitol, yeah. and he's still playing the victim yeah. card, and he's not acknowledging the truth. And I, I worry about him because he said in his first statement after it, um, the day after the uh, event, that this this is just the beginning for him. So is he going to keep trying to inflame? Is he going to keep claiming he was well, defrauded the president? And Well, right. Th- this is another opportunity. You know, with a week left in your administration, I understand he's angry with this impeachment stuff and all that. But to me, this doesn't help the cause. To me, this is just a further effort. Hey, the, the subtle message is, if you go ahead and impeach me, you're just going to make all these people that stormed the Capitol last week, you're going to make them even angrier. So you better not do it. Instead of at least some degree of contrition, it was not my intent to, you know, spark any sort of riots. I, to the extent people misunderstood what I was saying, I regret this. Everybody needs to stand down and let's have the peaceful transition of power. You'd like, wouldn't you have liked to have heard that from him? I would have. Him being the peacemaker, uh, being presidential, you know, and my, my term is coming to an end. I didn't want to see this violence happen. I, I don't want to see any more. You know, right. everybody's got a cooler head. And I think if he did that, I mean, they, it might slow down the, the impeachment fervor. If he came out. Yeah. And address the country. Right. And, and showed a little, thanks for calling, th- showed a little bit of con- contrition with regard to this. Oh, here's a text. Jeff, did you listen to the whole speech? Yeah, I did. The mainstream media cut and pasted the speech to make it look worse than it was. Look, there's only so much blame you can, you can have on, on, on the media. And, and I mean, you, you can't have your own set of facts. Now, now I, I understand he didn't say go storm the Capitol and kill police officers. I, I understand he didn't do it, but you had a crowd that was whipped up to a frenzy. And, and, and yes, the president's remarks, I think, continued that process. But even worse, was, I think, sitting by the sidelines for hours while this was going on. And again, I, I, I think, you know, at some point in time, you're going to have prosecutors, you're going to have people decide whether or not it constitutes an impeachable offense or a crime. I think the, the idea of, of that type of speech, and I've already said this, rising to the level of a crime, I don't think so. That's my, that is my never-to-be-humble opinion on on that. I don't think it rises to the level of inciting a riot. That's a very, very tough standard. But I, I don't think a lot of the things that he said were appropriate. But I guess what's bothering me about today is this refusal to recognize that you might have had anything to do at all with that violence and the insurrection that was at the Capitol. And to me, that's just delusional. We continue the conversation. I guess I'm, I'm sort of disappointed. I, I keep, I keep waiting for the president to act presidential and at least acknowledge that we, We've got to figure out a way to heal the country. And it seems to me every time he talks to the media, it's like I've done absolutely nothing wrong. It's everybody else's fault. And if you keep coming out after me, um, people are going to continue to be angry. That's that's throwing flame. That's the, you know, that's throwing oil or gas on an already burning fire. We continue the conversation in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, President Trump on his way to Texas, you know, answers a couple questions and somebody asks him what your role, what is your role and what happened at the Capitol? What is your personal responsibility? And he says, if you read my speech, people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. Now, that's a weird way of saying it, because you're asking, what's your responsibility? And he's like, people thought what I said was totally appropriate. I I guess it's frustrating to me, because, again, whether you or not you think what he said incites a riot, rises to the level of a crime, riot raises to the, rises to the level of impeachable offense, regardless of that, how can anybody seriously say under the circumstances that it was was appropriate? And I guess the the lack of regret, the inability to accept any responsibility for what happened either directly or indirectly, and the, the idea that if you go ahead with impeachment, and this is the implied thing from his remarks, it's just going to make other people even more angry instead of saying, hey, the FBI says there's, you know, we're worried about, you know, crazies descending on, on 50 capitals, you know, armed and, and you know, instead Instead of saying, hey, look, I don't condone, I appreciate the fact that people are there supporting me, but I don't want any repeat in any of the state capitals or here of what happened last week. Instead, you get, well, if they go ahead with impeachment, people are just going to be angry. Lamar in Florida, in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I have a question, um, you know, to, to you and to, to the listeners. When has Trump, over his four years, ever ever accept the responsibility, um, show contrition, you know, when has he ever, ever been held accountable? Because what I've seen over the past four years is his voters and his, his base, his voters and his party, they pretty much let him run wild. No matter, no matter what it is, they've let him run wild. There's been zero accountability. Four years. I can't think of a single, single example of, of Trump even backing down from his own rhetoric, he just turns up the heat. And well, that's his. He, he, he does saying, not back down from his own rhetoric. You're 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 right there. That that is that's been the strategy. I kind of label it as sort of the when you're wrong, be strong, right or wrong or whatever. It's it's attack, it's attack, it's attack. I didn't lose the Iowa primaries to Ted Cruz. I was stolen. It was stolen from me. You know all that stuff. That that is definitely his style. You're right. Right, and that 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 is problematic. And then, and and and, and I'm I'm a not never been a Trump fan. I'm, I'm grateful he didn't he didn't win this election because I feel like that would have emboldened him even further. But the fact that he got so many votes, I feel like, I mean, he got more votes the second time than the first time, even though he lost. I feel like that 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 gave him this sense of you know I am right. And yeah. there's, like, there's never any pushback to him. Well, I, using the Ted Cruz, go ahead. Well, no, I don't think, thanks to Colomar. I mean, I, I think now, I mean, I think you're, you're seeing pushback. And I think what you're, I mean, here, look, here, here's the deal. I think, and I've said this before, and I know people on both sides don't agree with me. I, I think after the election, the, the president had the opportunity to protect and burnish his his legacy because right Lamar he got 70 million votes and he, he could have gracefully accepted defeat he could have moved towards an orderly transition and kept himself relevant in, in politics if if he chose to be that way I, I think by what he the route he chose to take this this increasingly delusional the election was stolen from me uh, the, the stuff that, that had the effect of costing the Republicans the, the two Senate seats in, in Georgia and then leading up to what happened last week. I, I think that's now going to be his legacy, and he's going to have to live with that moving on. 
And it is, it's disappointing. Maybe it's not surprising. But at, at this point in time, and again, I'm one of these guys who's trying to call for calm and, and wants to find this balance and, and wants to have us moving on. And I, I don't think some of the some of the, the Trump haters, and I don't think some of the things they're doing is constructive to that. But at the same time, the, the president coming out and refusing to acknowledge any responsibility at all for the rioting and the destruction that happened at the Capitol and refusing to recognize that words do, in fact, matter. And regardless of whether his intent was to incite the crowd to go storm the Capitol and and take over the Capitol, regardless of whether that was his intent, that was the result of some of his remarks. And it doesn't make it criminal necessarily, but it does make it wrong. And I guess the refusal to acknowledge that I did not handle this well, and I sat on the sidelines for hours and hours while this rioting was going on, while people were you know, hiding in, in rooms and while people were being attacked, and I didn't come out and say anything, and I didn't denounce it, that, that's, that's something he's got to own. And how you can say, oh, everybody thought my remarks were appropriate. Hmm. Let's talk to Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi. How are Hi, you? Tom. Good. What do you think? Um, it's not. It's not surprising. I agree with you 100 uh, percent as far as what's proper. But um, and, and one thing is what he said definitely is going to make people even more angry. That are angry, kind of people that are going to go to the state capitol yeah. with his comment. He said this is what should make people angry. But I mean, this is the thing. People should Google on YouTube. The interviews of Mary Trump, because she's a psychologist, she's very intelligent, and she's also his niece, and she's known him for 60 years, and she also has tapes with his own sister. And in the Trump family, the way he was raised by his father is if you admit that you're a loser, that you lost at anything, it's a weakness. And even if you're physically sick, which is part of him not wearing a mask, that's a weakness. Yeah. So he, this is the way, this is the way he is. I mean, he has, he has, he's not psychotic. But he he is neurotic and he's a narcissist for sure, and and also the other thing is to look at the psychology of the people that follow him, and there are a lot of similarities. I'm sorry, but there are similarities with Hitler, many similarities. Well, I said I don't, Tom. I'm, I'm going to stop you there because again, I, I my my advice to people on the right and left is always the, the Hitler analogies are always always bad. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, Hitler was responsible for, for the Holocaust. So I, I think we, you got to, you, you I, I just, they're just bad. I don't care who says them. I, I think they're bad. Jeff, I'm done with your show. I'm moving to another station where they are not critical of the president. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I that, that's fine. In, enjoy yourself. But, you know, again, I, I'm, trying to be the voice of reason and common sense in this particular situation. And if if that offends some people who don't think President Trump can do any wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. Now, again, I've, I've tried to take the middle ground. I am not convinced that, first of all, impeachment cannot happen in a week. It's just physically impossible for this to happen. So that means we're going to drag this on for a month or two. It is entirely possible that he will not be impeached, that there's not enough votes in the Senate to do that. So at that point in time, you know, what do, what do we gain by having a trial a month and a half from now when you're two months into the Biden administration? Uh, and some people say, well, he needs to have the consequences. Well, if he ends up being acquitted again, what what are the consequences to, to that? I think that the sooner President Trump steps, you know, into into history, and the sooner we move on, the better it's going to be for people. I concede, though, he's making it difficult when you come out and say, I accept no responsibility at all 
intended or otherwise, I accept no responsibility for what happened last week. It's almost like you're divorced from reality. And if people don't want to hear that, you want to go find some station where they'll give you a different perspective. Well, go with God. That's what a free country is all about. All right. When we come back, do want to talk about where we go with the First Amendment. Should we be free to speak our minds moving forward? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I don't believe in UFOs, but I know other people do. You might believe in UFOs. I don't believe that the government has concealed all sorts of information from us over the years of the existence of UFOs flying over the desert. But but you might, right? And And I, even though I don't agree with that, I respect your right to say, Jeff, you are wrong. There are UFOs. I respect your right to say the government has all this stuff hidden out in the area, whatever that is, and and, and th- this is the case. And I, I respect the right to have for you to have that opinion. I also respect your right to voice that opinion. And if if you want to talk to your friends and tell them about how you believe that there's UFOs and they want to agree or disagree, I think you should have that right. I think if you want to go on these various social media platforms and you want to express your opinion about how there's life on other planets, I, that's that's fine. I think you have the right to, to do it. And I, as somebody who doesn't agree with you, can either choose to engage or I can just kind of say, nah, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to this. Boom, I, I'm gone. I think you should have the right to do that. Now, in this country, we are moving towards a point where that will not necessarily be the case. And one of the things that troubles me is I don't want Jack Dorsey, he's the guy that runs Twitter, or crazy Mark Zuckerberg, he's the guy that runs Facebook, or Jeff Bezos, he's the guy that runs Amazon. I don't want them making the decisions about what sort of content I should be able to talk about. And it's not a First Amendment issue. Let's be real clear here. The First Amendment talks about government. The First Amendment says government shall do nothing to abridge these rights. Twitter is a private company. Facebook is a private company. Amazon is a private company. So if these companies make the decision that, you know, they are going to limit certain things, we don't want to have any more discussions about UFOs because we think it's crazy and we think it's dangerous and we don't agree that there are such things as UFOs. So we're not going to allow you to talk about UFOs anymore. They Do they have a right to do it because it's, it's their platforms? Yeah, it is. But does that make it the right thing to do? And my answer would be absolutely not, because this country It's been founded on the free and open exchange of ideas. And what that means is you're going to have ideas that may be objectionable to some. I mean, let's go back to the time of the American Revolution. I mean, that's what the revolution was really all about, because you you had the, the British government and the king who was saying, "Okay, this is. This is what we're going to do, and this is what the rules are going to be, and how dare you try to voice your opposition to that. And now, 
we're getting to a point where you have, again, through these social media companies, that they've decided that we're going to try to limit the discussions. Now, look, just like I don't believe in UFOs, I, I don't believe, and I have said this since the second day after the election, I don't believe the election was stolen. All right, I, I don't go into these rabbit holes of Dominion voting machines and all these things. I don't, I don't believe that. But I recognize that there are some people who do. And I recognize that there are some people who choose to spread these kind of conspiracy theories that while I don't believe, and I believe that, you know, facts debunk them, to me, the way you respond to information that is out there is you respond with other information. That's what this country is about. It is the exchange of ideas and now we see, for example, the latest, we know that, that President Trump has been taken off of Twitter. He's been permanently, I believe, he's been taken off of, of Facebook. You have Parler, which is the platform where people could go in, in a primarily a conservative platform. That's now been taken off the Amazon web hopes, uh, the, um, right, the Amazon web hosting service that, that's out there. You have Facebook yesterday that announced that they were going to delete all references to the phrase stop the steal. So if you're somebody who believes incorrectly, in my opinion, but nevertheless believes that you think the election was, in fact, stolen, you're not even allowed to discuss that anymore. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this dovetails with this study that was just done by the Thompson Center, which is a, a UW survey center. And they, they surveyed 530 undergraduate students at UW between the ages of 18 and 23 on the topics of free speech. 63% said that they thought the government should be able to punish hate speech. But, of course, the problem is you, you, you don't know what hate speech is and, and, and what constitutes hate speech. If I say I don't think there's any sort of uh, aliens that are out there, I mean, does that constitute hate speech? 53% agreed the government should restrict the speech of racially insensitive persons. Okay, a racially insensitive person. So if I say that I think that the that the rioting that occurred in Kenosha and Madison as an outgrowth of some of the Black Lives Matter protests, if I say that that is unacceptable, do I now get censored because I'm I'm a racially insensitive person? And who decides that? And then 35% agree that a public university should be able to revoke invitations for guest speakers whose speech might be offensive. And I guess the question becomes offensive to who? The bottom line of all this is there... I don't know. I don't know what speech in this country is going to look like five years from now. I mentioned it briefly yesterday that one of the major radio companies sent out a, a um, and the three big ones are um, Intercom, iHeart, and uh, Cumulus, and they sent out apparently a, a memo to a number of their prominent conservative hosts, telling them to stop talking about the election being stolen, and if they didn't, they, they'd lose their jobs. All right. Well, look, as somebody who doesn't believe the election was stolen, that's not the approach I've taken. But are we getting to this point where we are now going to have these these large media companies or universities or just society in general deciding what you can discuss and what you can talk about and what you can't? And is the idea that, well, gee, we think 
We think that uh, talking about UFOs, we don't believe that there's UFOs out there, so we shouldn't allow any sort of conversation about UFOs. Is that really the, the country that, that we want to live in? And, and what does that say for the expression of ideas? Isn't the best way to deal with the expression of ideas, instead of saying, we're going to delete everything that says stop the steal, instead would be to open up the dialogue so that people who don't believe the election was stolen can present that evidence as opposed to saying, no, no, we're not even going to allow you to articulate that in in social media. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the type of censorship that I think can, in fact, be scary if you take it to its logical conclusion that we're now Regardless of whether you agree with something or not, if somebody decides that, oh, this is hurtful, or somebody decides that this is unfounded, or it's not true, or people aren't able to process this, so we're going to decide what's appropriate and not. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Ross. Ross, you're first on WTMJ. Uh, Mr. Wagner, I think with Facebook and Twitter having such a monopoly on the area they should be regulated like broadcast television was when it first came out and should be considered required to have a a fair fair basis on their coverage well but but, i mean thanks to call the problem with that is is who decides what what's fair you know years and years ago you, you had what they called the fairness doctrine which was you know on tv it would be okay if i if I articulate a particular point and I go on for two minutes, then you have to have a, a countervailing point that comes on for two minutes. Ultimately, the fairness doctrine went away. No, I say I don't think that's the answer. I I don't I don't want the speech to be censored. I don't want the Jeff Bezoses of the world or the Mark Zuckerbergs or again the Jack Dorsey. He's the Twitter guy. I don't want them deciding what's fair and what's not fair. What I want to see happen is I want to have the free exchange of ideas. Now, there's always been limits. With that, there, there's limits with libel. There's limits with slander. There are limits if you go over and you incite violence and things of the like. But, but seriously, is it that much of a danger to our our world that you have people who want to go out and articulate the fact that, gee, they they think that the the election that there was election fraud. All right, and and who gets to decide? All right, when you get to make that remark and when you don't. Um, Stacey Abram, who was the one, um, she was the woman who ran for governor of Georgia. You know, she she's been saying for the last three years that that she won that election, and were it not for voter suppression, she would be the governor. Okay, well, I okay, do we, do we go to her and we say, okay, no, you're not allowed to articulate that particular point of view because there, there's been no court finding that that's true. Where do we end up drawing the line? Eight five five six. 616-1620. Jeff, these are private companies and can do what they want. Don't use them if you don't like what they're doing. Just go back to having the KKK meeting to spread hate speech. Okay, here's the scary thing. Okay, who decides what's hate speech? I mean, is that really what you want? Do you want do you want Twitter being the one that describes, okay, this is this is hate speech. That's that's what the scary thing is. Jeff, I don't support censorship, but we can't have people inciting riots. The First Amendment doesn't protect that. Okay, th- and that's always been the case. But simply saying, I think there's UFOs, or simply saying, I think the election was stolen, I- is that inciting a riot? 
I mean, and then and then where do you draw where do you draw the line? Is Stacey Abrams in Georgia when she says I should be the governor, but for the voter suppression that occurred, is that fomenting anger among her followers? I mean, do you want to get in this world now? Obviously, if people come out and they advocate, you know, this is the time we've got to go and we've got to go through bricks through somebody's window. All right, you, that. That clearly is speech promoting violence, but it's always been that case. The question again is, do you want Amazon? Do you want through their web servers? Do you want Facebook? Do you want um, Twitter? Do you want them deciding what you can talk about or what you can't? Again, I understand it's not a First Amendment issue because it's not government doing it. But like I always say, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We continue the conversation in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Sabrina in New Berlin. Hi, Sabrina. Hi. How are you? Real well. What do you think? Uh, uh, well, you talked about um, you talked about social media as. Um, being censored and having a problem with that, but media has been censored since media was invented. So radio stations have censorship, TV has censorship, social media has censorship. These are private corporations. You do not have to be involved. You do not have to go on Twitter to voice your what you want to say. There are other platforms for you to do that. Um, yeah, but, twi- but, but in fairness, can- Twitter and Facebook are the major ones. I mean, I guess you're right. Some entrepreneur can come up and start another web server. Who makes them that? You don't have. They don't have to be. If everybody walked away from them because they're upset that they're being censored, they wouldn't be anymore. Well, and the that, problem is that and- they want to be a part of something that they're being they're being held censored to well the, you know the interesting thing about this is i, I think i, I th- one of the big concerns is what the future of twitter is especially with banning president trump who's been one of the you know that that's been one of the huge generators of of followers there you know what the future of twitter is going to be but even though they have a right to do this they also they're given protections on the one hand they say they are you can't sue twitter or facebook for slander or libel because they say okay we're we're just a platform we don't regulate the content here but now they're regulating content if they're going to do that should they lose their liability protection well they you sign that when you sign up and you look at their terms of agreement they have that under their bylaws to say that they can change that at any point in time mm-hmm. so you sign up for that and by putting your information on there and saying this is what I sign up for, you agree to it. Well, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, that's three. I'm not. I'm not quite following what your point is. I mean, yeah. I mean, see, it seems to me, and this is the issue for for Twitter and Facebook and some of these other social media sites. And this is the situation they're in. They are either a, a social media platform that exists to provide a, a voice and access to people. And they don't regulate content beyond the content that is, uh, again, actionable sort of content. I mean, everybody understands that there are limits on free speech. Okay, but but what? And so as a result, we say to them, all right, you're just, you're a platform. You don't regulate content content. And so we're going to protect you. We're not go- we're not going to allow you to be sued if somebody goes and and slanders somebody else or libels somebody else on, on Facebook. Well, now 
they're saying, okay, we're, we're now going to start to intervene in content and we're going to not be concerned with, um, not somebody coming out saying, hey, I think we should all go through bricks through somebody's window, but instead saying, we're not going to allow you to say stop the steal because we don't think we have made the decision that that, that did not occur and you shouldn't be able to discuss it. So, I mean, I think to me, that's the issue for Facebook. If, and Twitter, if they're now going to start limiting the and, and regulating the content and deciding, well, we think that there are not UFOs and, and we're concerned that some of the people out there who think that there are UFOs, they're planning, you know, an, an anti-government rally and they're going to be protesting and they're going to show up and they're going to be arguing that there are, in fact, UFOs and our government is hiding it from us. Well, we, we don't think that that discussion should be going on. So we're not going to allow you. We're going to delete any reference to UFO. Okay. Now, first of all, my point would be, even if they have the right to do that, is that the right thing to do? But secondly, if they are going to start managing content, if they're going to start managing content, then do we hold them responsible if they let content go through, which turns out to be slanderous or libel? But but the, the bigger picture is, when did we get so afraid of having these discussions? When when did that happen, and, and who makes those decisions? Instead of simply saying, okay, this theory that is being espoused is a crackpot theory, and there's lots of crackpot theories that are out there. Instead of just saying this is a crackpot thing and, and allowing, okay, a handful of crackpots to go ahead and exchange that, when did we become so afraid of that that we cannot even allow the expression of ideas? And this is the bigger picture again. Look, I, I don't know what the world's going to look like five or ten years from now. And I, I'm not one of these people that goes into all these weird sort of conspiracies and stuff. But as somebody who makes a living being able to articulate, you know, what I think about things. Now, yes, it is true that the company I work for could have the right to say, okay, Jeff, we don't want you talking about this. Do they have the right to provide that censorship? Yeah, they, they do. Never happened in all the years that I've worked for WTMJ, and, and I don't know, I guess, what the future holds, but I think it's bad that people cannot have an exchange of ideas and argue stuff, even if the stuff they're arguing is wrong, because at the end of the day, who is it that decides what's right and what's wrong? And don't we want a free exchange of ideas, and if somebody comes up with something that's Looney Tunes or crackpots or whatever, isn't the best way to respond that by saying, oh, it, it's Looney Tunes, and nothing in that says that that means that people should be able to go out and overtly incite violence, but simply saying, gee, I think the election was stolen. Do, are we really so afraid of that, even though I don't agree with it? Just be careful what you wish for nowadays, because this is the road to totalitarian societies where we have a couple big enterprises or the government deciding what it is that you can say in public and what it is that you're therefore allowed, how you're allowed to express yourself. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Some people are trying to say, well, Twitter is the same as a radio station. If we try to call up a radio station and your screener doesn't let me on or I want to talk about a topic that you're not talking about, how, how is that any different than, than Twitter regulating speech? Well, it, it's, it's way, way different because Twitter, Facebook, social media platforms are 
open to all. And that's what they say. They say, look, we don't regulate. We don't regulate. You come here. We are a forum. And they are also protected. Like I say, they're not held accountable for the things that people say on the forums because they say we don't regulate this. Okay, media st- companies, a, a radio station, a TV station, that's not how it operates. And, and that's why, as a matter of fact, radio and TV stations have all sorts of rules and they're held accountable for the things that are said by the hosts, that are said by the news anchors, that are said by the reporters, that are said by the guests. It's a completely different way of operation. Now, if Twitter wants to decide to say, okay, we're going to operate, we're going to focus discussions like radio stations or TV stations, that's all well and good, but Twitter wants to have it both ways. Facebook wants to have it both ways. My point is, I think for the social media sites, you just open it up and you allow free speech to prevail. At least that's the way I think. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's playoff time in Titletown, the Green Bay Packers against the Los Angeles Rams this Saturday from Lambeau Field. Our full coverage of the NFC Divisional Playoffs starts at 12 noon on Saturday. Plus, join us Thursday at 6 for Target Tampa, a Packers playoff preview show. WTMJ is your only home for the green and gold. Go, Pack, go. All right. The vaccines that are being rolled out way too slowly we're all tested with the notion that you need two doses. You get the first dose, and then three weeks later, four weeks later, you get the second dose. And where you see the numbers, the, the 90% eff- efficiency, efficacy, the 94%, that's all based on getting the two doses within a, a month period of time, or five weeks, or whatever it is. It varies between the different um, the, the different companies, the different types of shots. When we were doing this roll, when the government was doing this rollout, which has been painstakingly slow, the decision was made because there because there is a limit on the amount of vaccine that what we're going to do is we're going to hold back a significant portion of the vaccine so people can get the second dose. So, in other words, um, we'll I think originally they started withholding 50 percent. So if we've got, you know, 100 doses of the vaccine, what we'll do is we'll give 50 to people and then we'll hold back 50 more doses. And we're going to wait with those 50 more doses until three or four weeks later, four weeks later. So we can guarantee that the people can get the second shot. So they get the vaccine. All right. Now, the problem is that that means that there's a lot of other people who need, want, should have the vaccine, and, and they're not getting it because, they're again, they're holding back elements of the vaccine so that people can get that second shot. Well, Joe Biden has said that he wants to change that. And, and what he wants to do is he wants to get as many people as possible that first shot, and he's hoping that they'll be able to produce enough vaccine to get people the second shot. And the Trump administration today said, okay, we're, we're going to go along with that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think this is the wrong way to proceed. And, you know, all along we've been hearing follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And the, the science says that for the vaccine to be 
efficient and to have that that kind of protection that number one protects people and number two gives other people confidence that the vaccine is going to work you need the two doses and giving a hundred people one dose of the vaccine and then not having enough vaccine to give um, those hundred people um, the, the second dose that leaves them unprotected or maybe a slightly more protected than they were in the first place, but but not the protection that they were promised. Okay, I understand this is a difficult situation. And what Biden is hoping is that over the course of the next few weeks, they can ramp up the production of the vaccine so that they can have enough second doses. My question, though, is what happens if they don't? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this, and if we've been told, follow the science. And at least thus far, all the scientists say, to get this level of protection, you need the two doses. Don't we have to hold back enough of the vaccine to make sure that the people who got vaccinated in the beginning, that they're able to get that second dose in a timely fashion. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, the worst thing that can happen, or I guess the worst thing would be nobody gets vaccinated, but one of the worst things that would happen is that people get that first shot, they can't get the second shot, then they end up thinking they've got some degree of protection, they get sick, they've gotten sick, but secondly, you want to talk about something that will inspire a complete lack of confidence in the vaccine if all these people get shot, get the vaccinations, and then they still get sick because there wasn't enough vaccine to do the follow-up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's kind of like you have an, you have an infection and they give you antibiotics and they say, okay, here, here's the deal. You should take take antibiotics twice a day for the next five days. Oh, okay, that's fine. So you decide, all right, I'm feeling a little better after, but they say, tell you what, we've got a shortage of these antibiotics, so you should be taking two a day for the next five days, but here's what we're going to do. We're only going to have you take two a day for the first two days, and then you wonder why the infection hasn't gone away. 855-616-1620. And I understand this is a difficult situation because you want to get people vaccinated. You want to get as many people vaccinated as possible, but don't we need to do it right? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620 is the number. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, we all know that when the, 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 these vaccines were rolled out, they were all tested, and it's not like the flu shot. You get one. You need two shots within, depending on which vaccine it is, like three or four weeks from each other. That's what gets you to the 95, the 96, the 97 percent efficacy rate. You need the two shots. That's what science says. Well, up until just a day or so ago, Health and Human Services has been holding back vaccine doses to ensure that those who get a first dose will have a second dose in in reserve. That's been the idea. Um, Joe Biden didn't like it. And there's been some pressure from governors. So they, they've changed the rules. They say, OK, now all that they're not going to hold anything back. All the existing doses are going to go out in the field to be administered. And then they're going to hope that the second doses for people will be available to be provided, you know, within the time frame. 
but but they don't have this now. My point is that you're, and a number of texters are making the point, would, aren't you better off having 50 people who have the protection that they've been promised as opposed to 100 people who are walking around with the, the iffy sort of stuff? And I, I guess to me, it's a, it's a big leap of faith to assume that, gee, we're, we're confident in three weeks we're going to have enough vaccine to be able to do those, those second doses. And if the argument all along has been, let's follow the science. That, that's what I've been hearing. And I get it. I understand. Let's follow the science. If the science says you need two doses, don't we need to be in a situation where we make sure that, that, that people can get those second doses? Now, maybe best case scenario, perfect world, maybe they're able to ramp up production and they're going to be able to, to catch up. But clearly, they embarked on this program because they had doubts that they'd be able to, to catch up. And that's why they've held stuff in reserve. Um, okay, let's go to some texts here. Jeff, uh, giving the government control over the vaccine distribution is a recipe for disaster full of unintended consequences. The focus should be on vaccinating the most vulnerable, not letting healthy people cut in line. Well, it, and especially if, if we've prioritized this so that you're in a situation where the, the most needy people are the ones at the front of the line. I, I want them to get the immunity that they need. I want them to get both doses. I, I don't want to be trying to hope that it's going to work out otherwise. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I was just um, really just agreeing with you the same thing. Hypothetically, if you only have 100 doses, take 50 people, most vulnerable give them give them their first dose and then hold the other 50 and give them their second dose if you take all the hundred and give a first dose and for whatever reason the second doesn't come you've just wasted those hundred doses Yes, if if that's right, if that's the case. Now, some people are arguing about what the effectiveness rate is for one of them. I think it's only about forty percent if you get the one shot. I, right? Don't we want to? Don't we want to do what we can to protect the the v- most vulnerable and the neediest? And again, I I don't know about you, but if the science says you need two doses, we want to make sure people get those two doses. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we need to go with the sure thing. No. Right. Th- thanks for call. Now, again, I I just. I hear this, go with the science, go with the science, go with the science. The science says you need two doses. Okay, well, if the science says you need two doses, we should have to guarantee that this um, that this is going to, you know, be there. Um, Jeff, Biden has confidence in American industry to produce the necessary medicine in a ramped up manner. Don't be a doom and gloomer. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that's, that, that's great that he's confident that they can do it in three weeks. Well, then it shouldn't be that big a deal. If you're confident that we can have this huge new supply that's coming in 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 three weeks, well, then what you can do is you can, you know, get those, those first doses into into production sooner. If, if we're if we're really ramped up by that, I mean, if they're really ramped up and you've got all this that's coming into the pipeline, then it's not an issue. But I don't think anybody necessarily thinks that. And do you want to, do you want to bet the vaccines 
on the fact that, yeah, we think ramped up production is going to do it? Or do you want to wait until you see that the ramped up production really is a real thing? In which case, you know, then it's fine to go ahead and do it. But obviously, the reason they had to hold back stuff in the first place is they don't have confidence in the ramped up production. And to me, here's the big deal. And like I say, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy that believes in the vaccines. As soon as it's my turn, I'm, I'm going to get one. But given the fact that we have all the skepticism that's out there now about the vaccines, one of the worst case scenarios as far as public confidence and opinion is that people get the first shot. They think that they're going to have some degree of protection. There's not enough vaccine to go around because we've blown through all the reserves to give those people the second shot, and then they start getting sick. Because then I guarantee you the interpretation, especially among a lot of the people that are skeptical of this in the first place, is going to be, see, the stuff doesn't work. Or see, you said that, you know, you have to, you, you, you said that we'd have this protection, but look where we are now. And that's the worst thing in the world. I would argue, again, it's better to have 50 people who are protected than a hundred people who've got this kind of iffy protection who may or may not get sick. And if the testing to get this stuff qualified was based on two doses, then you got to make sure that the people who are getting this are going to be able to get two doses. And if Joe Biden knows something and he's confident that the production is going to be there, okay, that that's well and good. But if three weeks from now you get all sorts of people who are lined up and they're not able to get that second shot, who who gets held accountable then? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Here's a text, Jeff. This works the same as Social Security. Government will spend and distribute it before the people who will need it in the future. Government can't resist saving something even for two months. Well, yeah, that's that's part of the thing. And in this case, if, if they can't get enough vaccine to give people that second dose in the three or four or five weeks or whatever it is, you, you essentially render the first dose useless. Now, they're starting to say, OK, maybe maybe you have a window of six or seven weeks, but but that's okay. But the bottom line is it's a kind of a risky game you play. And this is from the perspective of somebody who, who wants, who believes that getting people vaccinated effectively is the way out of this mess. Jeff, we've got to do the two doses. At some point, we all want this thing to end. And full and complete vaccination is the way to make that happen. Why we can't, we can't keep worrying about, you know, people are going to get sick, closing down the economy and stuff like that. Let's do it the way it was set up. Let's do it right. Let's get the people the shots as soon as we can. To which I say, amen. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Crew producing the show today and always. Well, that was quite nice. One of our one of the things that has changed around here with COVID, given the fact that most of, of our teammates are working at home, so there's only those of us who are pretty much on the air. We're the only ones that are here, certainly on a regular basis. But obviously, we've got all these protocols that are in place, including wearing your masks in the public areas and things like that. And and one of the things that see around radio stations, there's always food. That was that's there. We'd have a break room, and there'd always be food and stuff. And, and one of the the rules that makes a whole lot of sense is that you're, there's no shared food. You're you're allowed to. 
the, the idea of somebody bringing in donuts and stuff, you're, you're not supposed to do that anymore because you don't know who, who's handled that. And it, it all makes sense. Um, but it just kind of like changes the dynamic that, that's there. And so during the break, one of, one of our great advertisers dropped off some stuff for me at the front desk and, you know, and it was, it, it's like cookies and all. So it, it's wonderful. And I, I, I would love to share them with you, but I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So I, you know, so, Guess I'll have to eat them all myself for something like that. I, I packed my own cookies for today. Thank you. All right. Well, these are really good cookies too. These are these were high end cookies. So I really I, I do I do appreciate that. But it's kind of like uh, no no more shared food. Th- this too this too will pass. We will be at some point in time back to normal. I, I guarantee it. Can't tell you exactly when, but we'll be going to baseball games. You know, we'll be going to basketball games. We will be back to normal at some point in time. All right. President-elect Biden will become President Biden um, in about a week. And one of the things that I have pointed out is for everybody who thinks that it's going to just be a, a walk in the park for Biden, it, it's not. And it's not just because of the Republicans. And, and of course, you've, you've got divided government. I mean, you've got even with the two Democrat electoral pickups in the Senate in Georgia, it's still 50-50 which means you, you can't lose any Democrats in the Senate. In the House, it's 222 to 211, which means you, you can't lose more than five or six as long as the Republicans stay unified. So it, it's not like you've got carte blanche to do whatever you, you want. You've got, to, you, you've got to appeal to and appease a lot of different interests. So here's one of the big things that is on Joe Biden's plate the minute he takes over. Student loan debt. And Biden is getting a ton of pressure from the left. So here's here's the deal. Right now, there is about $1.4 trillion in student loan debt. Kids from all walks, uh, all, all different economic backgrounds who have taken out loans. And it's about $1.4 trillion. Now, everybody understands the argument. Hey, you know, if you owe a whole bunch of money on your student loan, that means you're not able to go out and buy a car. You're not able to buy a house or whatever because you're paying off the student loan. And so the idea is if you didn't have that student loan, if that just suddenly disappeared, you'd have all sorts of money to spend on other things. And on, on one level, I guess that's that's correct. If you've got a mortgage and all of a sudden, and the government waves a magic wand and says, you don't have to pay that mortgage anymore. Oh, oh that, that, that's great. You, you've got all sorts of all that money you're paying every month in the mortgage can go somewhere else. The, the problem, of course, is, first of all, that that money has to come from somewhere. And secondly, how much of a break do you get? Joe Biden has proposed canceling. $10,000 in federal student debt, and we're talking about federal student loans, private student loans are a different story. But he's talking about canceling $10,000 in federal student debt per borrower as a way of kind of chipping away at the debt. Democratic leaders based on the left are pushing for up to $50,000 in debt relief per borrower, and they want Biden to do it by executive order. No, Biden says, look, I, I want legislation. I want to introduce it into Congress, $10,000 relief. The left is saying, no, 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 we want $50,000, and forget legislation. We want you to do it by executive order. Well, here here's you know part of the problem with this. I mean, first of all, 
You've got the fundamental issue of fairness. What about all of you who, who took out student loan for yourself or for your kids and, and you, you worked hard and you paid them off? You know, how is it fair to you that all of a sudden we just, you know, now wave a magic wand and say, hey, forget about 10000 forget about 50000 More importantly, here's the deal. About 60% of the student loan debt is owed by house com- households in the nation's top 40% of earners with an annual income of $74,000 or more. In, in other words, the people that have the biggest chunks of student debt are the people that, for example, maybe went to Ivy League schools or to expensive private schools and have degrees, maybe they're doctors, you know, maybe they're lawyers, whatever, but they they went to the more expensive, I'm not going to say better, but they went to more expensive schools. They're the ones that hold the bulk of this. So if you start giving, for example, $50,000 in relief, the people, a lot of those people are going to get it are a lot of the people who are going to, are getting the stimulus money, people who don't necessarily need it or arguably deserve it. I mean, if you've got somebody, for example, who went to Harvard and um, has $100,000 in student loan debt, but is just starting out their career, but ha- is on a trajectory to make a fortune over the course of their lifetime, should the taxpayers really be bailing the guy out or the girl out for 40000 bucks, 50000 bucks? Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. First of all, I think that anything that is done with student loans should not be done by executive order. It should be legislative. Secondly, I think it is nuts, absolutely nuts, to wave a magic wand and say, okay, anybody, the first $50,000 of student loan debt is going to disappear. That's going to be an advantage to the wealthy. That's going to be advantage to the people that it chose to um, go to the high-end private schools, more likely. But the bigger point is, I just don't think it's fair to take taxpayer money and say, okay, we're going to bail out some people and all the rest of you chumps who paid off your student loans or worked your way through college. Well, don't you feel like you're dumb? 855-616-1620. To me, if you want to look at the problem, it's not erasing the debt. It is maybe refinancing the debt so you get people out from under some of the the onerous interest that they might end up paying i i think that would be a reasonable thing to do especially given the fact that you can buy a car for zero percent interest you you can buy a house for less than three percent interest if we were looking at refinancing the debt to make interest payments payments more affordable you could sell me on that but just waving a magic wand and saying 50 grand is forgiven I think it's bad policy. I think it's unfair. I think it actually tends to be very regressive because it benefits the wealthy more than the poor. And I think, again, it's a slap in the face to people who've paid off their loans. 855-616-1620. We discuss next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, you know the taxpayers are going to pay for this debt. Yeah. Why should I have to pay anyone else's debt? I've worked hard all my life, starting as a farm kid. I didn't go to college because I couldn't afford it. I shouldn't have to pay their debt with my money. Uh, Jeff, so $50,000 in past debt. What about future debt? Right, yeah, right. That raises the question. Okay, yeah, you've got $50,000 in student loans. We forgive that. Okay, so then what happens if you continue in school and you, you, you know, rack up another $100,000? And again, keep in mind that, that this isn't 
it's not targeted necessarily at at low income people. It, it it's people starting out. So I, you get an MBA from Harvard, and you're working. You're in your first year on Wall Street, and, and maybe you know your first year you're making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand. But four years from now, you're going to make a quarter million. Yeah, you would qualify to get this money, you know, waived. How is that possibly fair? Let's start with Jack in South Milwaukee. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? Hey, so so uh, you brought this topic up before, I know, a few months back, um, and I appreciate the topic coming up again, uh, and I knew it would with the Biden administration. Um, and, and first off, I mean, the points you brought up, I think, are all relevant. And, you know, I, I think people in my situation, I'm 32, you know, I bought my first house a year ago worked my butt off for the last uh, 20 years to save. And, uh, you know, it took me seven years to pay off my college loans that mm-hmm. I took out while work, while working through college. And I know you brought up that point, but there's millions of Americans in my shoes right. where, you know, they, they worked, they saved, and they paid off their college. So you're disadvantaging and disincentivizing all of them, and now we're going to be taxed for it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You're, you guys are chumps. You're chumps for for working hard and doing the right thing and paying off debt. And and the last time I checked, Jack, no, nobody put a gun to anybody's head and said, "Here, you've got you got to borrow fifty thousand dollars to get your MBA." I mean, no, no, nobody put a gun to anybody's head and and did that. It's a decision that people made, and it's an obligation they took. Just like when you. Take out your mortgage. It's an obligation that you take or you buy your car or or whatever. It's an obligation you took and you have an obligation to repay it. Absolutely. And to that end, I graduated in three and a half years to get done as fast as I could to save money. My my best friend in college took seven and a half years to graduate with an art degree. Right. He's got twice the debt I ever had right. for an art degree. Right, right. So. exactly. Where is that fair? No, thanks. And I said, look, I, and again, I, I said at the beginning, I, I understand that this is an issue, but rather than just flat-out loan forgiveness not tied to not tied to family income, not tied to earning potential. I, I think the fairer thing to do would be look at, again, a, a reorganization of debt, getting this into interest rates, or I'm sure dramatically lower now. So so getting people into affordable sort of interest rates, that would have a lot more appeal to me than just simply saying, okay, we're, we're going to get rid of all the debt that, that's out there. And look, and I understand there's a lot of blame to go around. What What is the role and responsibility of these colleges and universities who have for years Years and years just jacked up the prices of tuition without regard to what the job market is going to be, but simply said, okay, well, we can charge more because we know people are going to be able to borrow the, they're they're going to be able to borrow this, so we're going to get it. I mean, candidly, you know, I I think if you're looking at anything, maybe we should be looking at some of these colleges and universities and trying to figure out a way to claw back some of that money if we're going to pay for student debt relief, because the colleges and universities are one of, I think, the major driving factors in why student debt is as bad as it is. 855-616-1620. Bill and Racine. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Um, I kept thinking about a matching program where it's dollar for dollar. For every dollar that you pay on your student debt, the federal government will forgive a dollar and do it over a 10-year period, and then we'll take a look at it after that. It's just It's a compromise. Mm-hmm. And definitely not something that's going to be a presidential edict or anything right. like that. Let let the 
let the federal government uh, agree on it. Yeah, no, have, thanks for make it make a legislative thing. And I guess I, I'm open to different. I'm open to different ideas as opposed to just waving a, a magic wand. Now, now Joe Biden says he, he wants it to be $10,000 a piece. The, the far left wants it to be more than that. Like I say, they're the ones that are pushing for $50,000. And again, it's interesting to me because, because that, my guess is a lot of the lower income students, they're not the ones with 50 and a hundred thousand dollars in student debt. Now, he might be able to find examples of that, but I think what, what Biden's talking about with his ten grand, he, he thinks it's going to that's going to hit a lot of people across the board. My guess would be the people that owe fifty or a hundred thousand dollars. You're talking about the people that again went to graduate school. You're talking about the people that went to uh, private universities, and, and that raises the other issue of, of fundamental fairness. Let's say your goal in life, you always wanted to go to Marquette. All right. You always want to go to a private university. You want to go to Marquette. But Marquette, you, you just decided, look, I, I don't want to hamstring myself enough. I, I don't want to take all the student debt because Marquette costs a lot more than Whitewater. And I'm not knocking Marquette. I'm not knocking Whitewater. So you make the decision. I don't want to go into debt. Um, to, to go to Marquette. So I'm going to go to Whitewater. It's fine, but I always wished I went to Marquette. What, what a missed opportunity that was. Well, okay. What, why should you now be punished? You're, you're the chump. You should have just said, well, what do I care about costs? I should have just gone to the most expensive school I could get into and, and done that and then let the chips fall where they may. 855-616-1620. Scott in South Milwaukee. Hi, Scott. Um, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, my take on this topic is that, like, number one, is that I don't think it should be done by a presidential executive order, number one. Number two, again, I mean, I I have no problem with forgiveness of, of student debt just as long as it's tied to something. And when I say tied to something, that might mean a, a reverse GI bill where the person signs up for the National mm-hmm. Guard and, and yeah. whatever and serves for X number of years, or, mm-hmm. if the, or the person works in a rural area, whatever, <laughs> Works in a rural area. For, a, a way to work. Uh, a way to a way to work off the debt. In other words, something like that, as opposed to just we're going to make it go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the classic example, whatever, is is, inner, is being a teacher in an inner city school where they can't attract people. So that yeah. that's my take on the topic. Well, I mean, they, I mean, I, again, I, I guess I'm I'm open to some of that too. I mean, I guess I again, I think the easiest, simplest way is just a, a restructuring of interest payments. That would give immediate relief and would 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 free people to start paying down principal. But I'm I'm open to like a, a like a jobs corps or a peace corps sort of thing too. I, I'm open to considering something like that and, and seeing again how it would work. But just magically waving a wand and saying fifty grand in debt disappears I, I, is that wonderful? Absolutely. I, that that's absolutely wonderful, but how do you say to all the other taxpayers? And that's gonna it's gonna cost the taxpayers, the people that paid for their kids' college, the people that worked their way through college, the people that paid off their student loans, the people who are on fixed incomes now. How do we simply say, well, we we wanted to give money to the guy that's just graduated from Harvard with the MBA, who by the way is going to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a few years from now. We want to forgive his fifty grand, but um, you're you're on the fixed 
fixed income, living on Social Security. We want to jack up your taxes. Here's a text, Jeff. So proud of my son who paid off his master's degree loan of $30,000 in three years. He worked like a dog to do that. Um, then um, yeah, 10 days later, he was diagnosed with terminal stage four cancer. Um, wow. Um, if you feel, if you take on debt, I think you have an obligation to pay this off. Jeff, thanks for the topic. This makes my head explode. Not only did my husband and I each work two jobs while going to college in order to pay our way, but also our graduate degrees. Meanwhile, we have five children that we and their grandparents have been saving to help with college. The kids also know they are expected to work to help pay their way. This is a $50,000 unfair, and it sends a terrible message to our kids. Our reward for being responsible is to pay for handouts to others. Well, this is going to be one of the really first tests because Biden is committed legislatively to $10,000 waivers. The left wants fifty grand. we will know early on who's going to win, and that might tell you whether or not the left is going to be the, the tail that wags the dog in the Biden administration. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.